Welcome to the Business Leadership Series, where we engage with leaders who are making an impact on their worlds and who want to share their knowledge and experience for your personal and professional growth. The following interview is designed to inspire you to become the best leader you can be. Your host, Derek Champagne, is the founder and CEO of The Artist Evolution, a full-service agency building successful brands, marketing tools, and campaigns, and also the author of the best-selling book, Don't Buy a Duck. And now, let's begin today's Leadership Series interview. Welcome to the Business Leadership Series, where our goal is to inspire you to become the best leader that you can be. I'm your host, Derek Champagne. We've got a great guest today, Nick Friedman. He is the co-founder of College Hunks Hauling Junk. Nick, welcome to the program today. Hey, Derek. Thanks so much for having me. Man, you've got an exciting journey. I, I think I first saw you on Shark Tank years ago, and, and <laughs> you've been on Oprah Winfrey Show and CNN and MSNBC and CBS and NBC and so many, <laughs> even Millionaire Matchmaker. Is that correct? <laughs> yep, that is correct. Unfortunately, that's, that's one of my many uh, uh, reality TV appearances. <laughs> well, you, you have been everywhere, including even on a panel on MTV at the White House about entrepreneurship, which I think is really cool. And even named on the same list as Mark Zuckerberg uh, as the 30 most influential CEOs under 30. And uh, so that's, that's really amazing. I'd love for you to start at the beginning, if you don't mind. I'm sure you've told the story a hundred times, but give us a few highlights of your entrepreneurial journey starting out when you were just in college. Yeah, happy to. So, you know, I was brought up kind of the traditional uh, education, uh, really always taught to follow the traditional career path. You know, you work hard in school, you get good grades, you go to a good college, you get a good job after college, and you kind of climb that corporate ladder. And the summer before my senior year of college, I was home for vacation. I had an internship, and it it was in an office at the International Monetary Fund in Washington, D.C., so it looked great on my resume, but it was just really unfulfilling for me. And I couldn't really picture myself doing that type of work for the next 20, 30, 40 years of my life. And my best friend from high school uh, was home for summer vacation as well, and his mom had this beat-up cargo van uh, that she told him uh, she could use that summer to go around doing odd jobs. So uh, Omar, who was his name and he approached me and said hey you know let's use this cargo van to make some extra money this summer so we were sitting around the living room table and we were throwing around ideas and ways to make the phone ring and and we threw out the name college hunks hauling junk (laughs) as kind of a catchy way to you know catch people's attention and so uh we put out computer printout flyers stuck them around the mailboxes uh that night and uh people started calling they had a need for the service to have stuff hauled away have stuff moved around uh they kind of appreciated and thought the name was catchy and and quirky and fun and uh, that was really the first time the light bulb went off for me was wow there's actually something else that you know we could do that's not really anything we learned in school uh, per se uh, that's fun we could see the immediate impact of our efforts uh, we can get paid for it and so uh, we went to school our senior year of college, and we ended up writing a, a business plan and put it into an entrepreneurship competition. And uh, we actually won first prize out of about 150 entries for this wow. idea, College Hunks Hauling Junk. So it gave us a little more confidence in the idea, uh, but then we actually graduated and still got corporate jobs. We had been so programmed uh, to get a regular job after school that right. that's what we did, even with the business plan. Uh, you know, even with the summer of uh, operating under our belts. And so uh, about three or four months into the corporate world, again, I was feeling unfulfilled. I emailed Omar and said, hey, listen, what's our timeline for quitting our jobs and starting this business on a full scale? And he emailed me back, you know, all capital letters, my timeline's right now, exclamation point, (laughs) let's do this. And, uh, 
you know, needless to say, our parents were a little skeptical. Sure. Uh, you can imagine some raised eyebrows from friends and family. You know, they're thinking, hey, you just graduated from college. You got a great job and you're going to quit to do what? Haul junk. And <laughs> the company's going to be called what? College hunks hauling junk. And uh, when we first quit our jobs, we were literally doing all of the work ourselves. I mean, mm. we were driving the truck answering the phones, hauling the junk. And I always tell the story, people would call the 800 number to complain about erratic driving and we had it routed to our cell phone. So I'd be in the driver's seat, you know, <laughs> answering the phone, apologizing, saying, listen, we don't condone that type of driving in our company. We'll tell those guys to be safer on the road. And uh, really the turning point for us, uh, quite frankly, is when we read the book, The E-Myth Revisited by Michael Gerber. Hmm. And in that book, uh, he talks all about working on your business, not in your business, creating right. systems so that your business can scale. And that was really the next light bulb moment for us is when we read that, we said, okay, wow, you know, if we're going to have another truck, let alone one day another location, we've got to start documenting everything we do, how we load the truck, how we answer the phone, how we move the stuff, how we greet the customer. And that was really the sort of foundation for us to eventually franchise our business. So uh, that, that's the path that we've uh, since taken, and now we've got about a hundred and uh, hundred and so franchises uh, around the country and uh, you know large call center supporting them so that's kind of fast fast forwarding from the, from the start to where we are today yeah that's incredible it, it seems like you it happened pretty quickly for you I know you were you were the ones doing the work and you were hauling the junk but you per- surpassed a million dollars in sales in your second year is that correct that is correct, uh, and, and certainly that was a big milestone for us. Uh, you know, and, and we were, you know, we were working really hard uh, to make it happen. But you know, our goal was always to become a national brand, and, and certainly they say, you know, no overnight success happens overnight. Right. Uh, for for us, when we first got started, I would say the the initial success that we had that got us kind of over that million dollar revenue mark uh, was just a lot of. Uh, uh, old-fashioned hard work, a lot of networking, a lot of guerrilla marketing, a lot of word of mouth, uh, low-cost advertising, uh, you know, putting the truck in visible locations, knocking on realtor doors, uh, trying to, you know, introduce ourselves into the community because, you know, this was, we were a little bit fortunate with timing. It was still kind of the peak of the the housing market. This was in the Mm, mid-2000s. And and so, uh, but social media hadn't really taken off yet. Online reviews hadn't really taken off yet. Uh, So it it was still kind of a little bit of an old-fashioned, just roll up your sleeves and and get to work. Mm, I I love those. I talk about the old days for myself of doing the old grassroots, guerrilla marketing, boots on the ground type approach. Do you still incorporate some of that into your marketing strategy today we do it's absolutely still part of our uh, our marketing program that we teach our franchise owners around the country uh you know we basically let them know you've got to be uh you know nothing gets the trucks on the road like the trucks on the road you've got to be seen right. to be known uh you got to be visible so uh you know we have strategies we call parketing you know parking the trucks right. in visible locations mm-hmm. when they're not in use uh door hangers, yard signs, uh, you know, mask, we have a mascot costume, we do mascot waves, <laughs> um, you know, anything we can do to just try to drum up attention, uh, because obviously people are typically going to start their search online, but if they've seen you offline, uh, then there's more uh, recognition and, and more likelihood that they're going to, you know, click on, on your link. Right. And it looks like your growth was happening during the wide acceptance and emergence of social media as well. What, what kind of play did social media have for you as you were growing? 
You know, you're, you're absolutely right. When we first started, this was in 2005, so Facebook, I think, had just kind of come to the uh, forefront as a social media platform, right. uh, and it certainly wasn't as much of a business platform as it is today. Uh, it was more just a, a pure, you know, social friends, photos, that mm-hmm. sort of thing. Um, so we didn't leverage it much in the early days uh, as we do now. Now today, it's a really big component of our overall uh, client engagement strategy, marketing strategy, uh, you know, content creation and, and sharing strategy. Uh, but but early on, it was it was not really something you know that that people were utilizing. It, you know, when we first started, it was more pay per click uh, advertising right. on Google was kind of the big way the the new you know initiative, and that was making yellow pages obsolete. And now, <laughs> of course, you know, yellow, yellow pages are, are are you know pretty much all but forgotten. And and uh, you know, Google is still very relevant. But now I think social media has a much bigger presence uh, when it comes to a, a business's marketing strategy. Hmm. That's good. I want to ask you in just a couple of minutes about about building a team and things like that. But uh, while we're still talking about your, your startup days, I'd love to hear about if there's those listeners who have hit their corporate job and not find the fulfillment that they have. And what, what advice do you have to them if they're looking at starting something on the side or if they're what what would you share as far as a mindset what they need to look for that's actually a great question and, and actually i failed to mention that when we first uh started right after college you know we had had corporate jobs for a little bit and and we actually ended up quitting our jobs to start the business uh there was a sort of uh i would call it kind of a transition period about maybe two or three months where we had actually started the business while we still kept our corporate day jobs and and we're still collecting a paycheck and that i think maybe gave our parents more confidence than you know it did us i mean we were young and just ready to ready to go but sure. i think our parents were still a little bit, uh, you know, apprehensive about it. So, you know, somebody who's working in, in, in you know, still kind of working in, in the corporate world and has thought about maybe taking the leap of, of entrepreneurship, uh, it doesn't have to be an all-in, you know, from day one type of scenario. There's some things you could do to, you know, test the market, uh, try to get your feet wet, try to get the ball rolling while you still have the security of the paycheck. Uh, but at the end of the day, I mean, starting a business, it is a risky endeavor, no doubt about it. If it were easy, everybody would do it. Right. Uh, if it were easy, everybody would be successful at it. Um, but, you know, you, you just have to, I think, have a level of uh, confidence, uh, a vision for what it is that you're going to uh, to, to, to make happen, and uh, a level of discipline and, and resolve that you're going to make it work no matter what. You're not going to let setbacks or uh, delays uh, inhibit you from from pursuing that vision. So uh, being able to kind of stare fear in the face and, and, and do it anyway, I think is, is really important if you're going to make that leap. Hmm, that's good advice. Thank you. So how do you stay focused? You've come up with a, a great model. It's catchy. It's, it's marketable. You franchise it. You've done what is nearly impossible to do. And it's amazing. How did you stay focused and not get distracted with other opportunities? I know that you've done stuff on television as well. How did you keep this business growing and franchising like you have? What what are some keys to not being distracted? Man, you know, focus is so critical uh, for any endeavor if you're going to be successful at it. And and, uh, I think most entrepreneurs, if not all, suffer from a little bit of ADD where they're (laughs) kind of chasing every new shiny idea that comes across. And, uh, you know, I, I used to joke that, uh, you know, I would say ADD just stands for all damn day because you can't turn it off. You're always going. Uh, but, uh, uh, you know, I, we've definitely been guilty of, of chasing new ideas, uh, you know, chasing shiny objects that seem like they could be, uh, you know, better opportunities than, than what we, we have, 
going for us already. And at the end of the day, uh, those distractions really are distractions. Uh, And, and you have to be have so much discipline to stay focused, because, you know, the focus part is the part that takes work. That's, that's the part that's hard, I think, for a lot of entrepreneurs, uh, because, you know, some of the fun and adrenaline and thrill that we get is in the innovative process and the creative process and the new idea and, and, and new venture process. And so when, once we start getting into the kind of the day-to-day grind of trying to grow a business, it doesn't, uh, it's not as fun or, or, or fanciful as when we first got started. So that's why mm. we end up, you know, trying to, you know, possibly pursue other endeavors. And every time we've done that, we've gotten a little bit burned and our, you know, our, our core business uh, has suffered as a result of it. We haven't, uh, you know, had the resources or time to devote to, you know, these new ventures. And at the end of the day, you can't replicate yourself uh, and there's only 24 hours in a day. So uh, if you're going to pursue a new venture and you're going to put your effort into it, then you better have somebody else who's going to run your existing venture. Mm-hmm. Uh, or if you're going to stay focused on your existing venture, but you want to pursue a new venture, uh, don't, you know, you got to be, have the money that you put to work and, and have somebody else pursue that, that new venture because you can't just slice up your own time and, and think that you're going to be uh, 100% effective at, you know, 10 different uh, opportunities at the same time. And a great example of that, you mentioned the Shark Tank. Uh, we went on the Shark Tank. We were on the very first episode, actually, of the very first hmm. season. Okay. Uh, and, and we were pitching a sister company. We, we were going to call it College Foxes Packing Boxes. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> and, uh, you know, incidentally, the, the Sharks ended up offering us an investment, but they wanted equity in college hunks hauling junk. So mm. we ended up turning down the deal, but we still try to go and, and test market and, and launch this, uh, this, you know, sort of female packing service idea. Uh, and it fell flat, you know, it wasn't the right, the right market. It wasn't the right, uh, positioning of, of the brand. Uh, but it also became a big distraction and, and our core business suffered as mm. a result of it. So, uh, we, we always talk about in our management meetings, you know, when a new idea comes up, we say, Hey, is this, are we chasing a squirrel into the woods here? Or are we, is this, is that a real, you know, viable opportunity? Let's, let's vet it before we uh, start chasing it. So right. I think that's really critical. Hmm, that's great. So let me ask you personally, how do you, you know, as a wired as entrepreneurs, you're right. We, we like building something and we like chasing it. And, and sometimes when you start to find success, you say, okay, great. Now what? And mm-hmm. so how do you, you know, you want to keep running and growing your business. How do you, how do you find fulfillment in focus? I get, but how do you continue to find fulfillment in growing that? Yeah. You know, the, um, a couple of things we did about four or five years ago to really make our, uh, business one that, that we felt good about getting up every day and, and working on and, and that our team members felt good about getting up every day and working on is we, we defined our core company purpose and we defined our core company values. And uh, we, when we defined those, uh, we made those uh, extensions of our own personal beliefs and, 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 uh, uh, and value system as well, you know, my, my business partner and myself. And so, you know, by defining that and making that part of the organization, you know, we're bringing to life something that, that we're passionate about. So, uh, you know, we say our core purpose as an organization is to move the world. And that's not just moving people's stuff, but actually making a positive impact and, and moving people emotionally, uh, because we get a, a level of satisfaction of seeing the impact that our, our service has on our clients, that our, you know, business model has for our franchise owners and, and employees. And uh, our employees buy into that and believe in that a lot as well. And so 
you know, that keeps us kind of getting out of the bed in the morning is trying to further that mission. Uh, and then we created four core values that align with that mission, which is building leaders, creating a fun, enthusiastic team environment, listen, fulfill, and delight our clients and team members, and uh, always branding. And so those four core values tie in uh, to our company purpose. And, and that, I think, is, has kept me uh, from getting burnt out, has kept me from losing focus or, or losing interest in what we're building. Uh, now, I'd be lying if I, didn't, if I, if I said that I don't uh, you know, sometimes feel like I'm getting dragged into the weeds of the day-to-day of the business, and, right. and I'd prefer to be you know, kind of doing high-level uh, strategic creative thinking. And I think that happens to every business owner, no matter what size of the business, because at each level of complexity the business is at, uh, there's you know, monotonous and, and uh, you know, menial tasks that still have to get done, and in some cases the owner has to do them. Right. And, uh, and that does squelch the passion a little bit. Uh, but you know, I think at each level the key is, is identifying team members who you can effectively delegate things that you either are not good at as the owner or you don't enjoy doing as the owner. And if you can delegate those things and spend majority of your time doing the things you like doing and that you're good at doing, uh, then you get a a level of fulfillment uh, out of what you do every day. So, uh, you know, that's an ongoing balance. That's an ongoing struggle. I don't think that ever ends. But uh, we're in the process right now of identifying a possible chief operating officer uh, to bring into our organization to kind of uh, help lead some of the uh, uh, integrating uh, organizational uh, and accountability elements of, of our you know business as it's become more and more complex. Uh, you know that's something that my partner and I aren't as fond of doing. We like to do more of the creative, visionary thinking, culture development, people development, and so we want to try to get some folks in place that can you know lead the organization forward from a, from a operational standpoint. Thanks. That's great advice. And you're, you're so right. There is an ongoing balance that you've got to find. And I was struggling with that last week and this week myself and, and, you know, read books like good to great. And, and then yours also working on and on in your business. And I always have that guilt of, you know, what, what can I be turning over or what can I be sharing with my team or with our operations? Mm-hmm. But man, you've done an amazing job. How many franchises do you have? Uh, we're right around a hundred right now. That's such an amazing success story. Tell me about, tell me about, how you deal with growing pains or how you deal with setbacks or, or failure or, or things that don't go as planned. What, what is your approach to recognizing those things when they've happened and, and how to move past them and grow? Uh, you know, it's, it's always a mental struggle. It, it, entrepreneurship is a roller coaster of, you know, ups and downs and, and everything in between. And, <laughs> and, and no doubt about it, you know, probably our, our most difficult, darkest time was uh, during the recession when, uh, you know, the economy was, was down and, you know, our franchise owners weren't growing as, as fast as we thought they could or should. Hmm. And, uh, and, and so, you know, it, 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 it was a challenge. Uh, it was a mental struggle. And, and, you know, the, the way that I, uh, deal with that is, is a couple things. Uh, number one, I've, I've surrounded myself with a lot of other successful business owners. Uh, I've joined some organizations like the Entrepreneurs Organization, uh, Young Entrepreneurship Council, uh, Young Presidents Organization, and and so I, I feel like I have a network, uh, and also the, on the franchise side, the International Franchise Association, I feel like I have a network 
of like-minded business leaders uh, who have either gone through the same thing that I'm going through, uh, are going through the same thing I'm going through, or will be going through the same thing that I'm going through. And, and so being able to lean on them and, and kind of have that support has, has helped me uh, deal with challenges so I don't feel like I'm out on an island or, or tackling it alone. Uh, there's also a book I actually keep on my nightstand. Uh, it's a Dale Carnegie book called How to Stop Worrying and Start Living. Hmm. Uh, and it's, it's uh, the subtitle is Time-Tested Methods for Conquering Worry. And uh, I've got a bunch of, you know, dog ears in the book, a bunch of underlined uh, paragraphs. And, you know, anytime I feel anxiety or stress or, or uh, you know, setbacks, you know, where I feel like it's kind of impacting me mentally uh, or emotionally, then I'll just pick that book up and, you know, reread certain excerpts of it. And it just kind of, you know, helps recenter my, my, my thought process because, you know, the book was written, you know, probably close to a century ago or right. at least half a century ago and, you know, mm-hmm. talks about examples from, you know, uh, the, 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 you know, the Middle Ages of, of people dealing with worry. So it's, you know, it's a human condition that, that we deal with, you know, regardless of what, you know, state you're in. Uh, and it's just a matter of, you know, conquering it and, and rec- first of all, recognizing it and then, and then overcoming it. So those are some of the things that I've done to deal with some of the mental battles that come with being a business owner. Mm, that's good advice. Thank you. You talked about how you and your partner enjoy working on the um, building leaders and the internal culture. Tell me a little bit about how you do that. I know you, that's some of the speaking topics that you do is crafting company culture and build, becoming and building better leaders. Give us some insight there. For us, one of our core values being building leaders is, is the idea that, you know, we, we're hiring a lot of 18 to 25-year-olds. We don't want to just hire people uh, that, that view this as a clock-in, clock-out job or, or a job just to move stuff. We, we want to hire individuals who, you know, view this as an opportunity to learn and grow. Hmm. And, uh, and, and, you know, one of the ways we do that is, is just simply by training, by mentoring, uh, by providing uh, guidance and, and insight, asking each of our team members what are their goals and then trying to help them uh, achieve those goals. Uh, we do a daily huddle with our team, and, and each day during the huddle we review a different core value story uh, or an example of where the core values have been lived from the, uh, the prior day or week. Um, you know, we do team-building events. We do uh, a lot of rewards, contests, and recognitions to, uh, uh, you know, positively reinforce the, the you know, efforts and, and the accomplishments of our team members. And so all of those things, I think, go towards uh, creating a, uh, a unique culture, uh, building leadership, and, uh, and, and, you know, empowering the team uh, is really what, uh, what, what building leaders is, is all about, is, you know, giving them the tools, setting the expectations, and then getting out of the way and, and you know, holding them accountable to, to what it is that those expectations are. Mm, that's good. Tell me about delighting customers. What are some ways that you continue to stay fresh? And I love that word. That's a word we have in each account manager's desk and in our and throughout our office, even our conference room is uh, one of our five value points. And one of those is to continue to surprise and delight the customer. So I love that. So I'd love to learn from you some of the things you guys are doing to continue to surprise and delight your customers. Yeah, you know, it... it, it it actually all starts with training because, uh, you know, customer service to a lot of people, you think it's common sense, but it's really not because, it, you know, as one person thinks, it might be completely different than what somebody else thinks. So, right. you know, it, it starts with training and probably the best training exercise that I have found uh, to educate your team on customer service is you get them in front of a whiteboard or a flip chart and you say, okay, guys, today we're going to talk about uh, client experience. Uh, first and foremost, 
what do clients expect when they call us and you create a list of everything that clients are going to expect when they call you for a product or service hmm. then you say okay now uh, what are clients likely to complain about so you write down all the potential complaints that somebody might have and you say okay great now uh, out of these complaints each one of them what is something that we could do a hundred percent of the time to minimize the complaints so an example in our company you know somebody might complain about uh, tracking mud on their carpet. So hmm. what is something we could do 100% of the time to minimize that? We offer to wear the shoe covers. Right. And, and, and so you create a list of, of every potential complaint and you have something that if your team or your, your uh, customer service providers offer every single time, 100% of the time, you're going to minimize the complaints. And you know, then you hold your team accountable to that because they created that list. It's not you giving them a list saying, hey, do these things. It's, it's them coming up with the list. And then the, the last piece of it is to say, hey, guys, you know, this list we created is great. We'll minimize the complaints. But the problem is all of our competition knows this list as well. So uh, what we really need to focus on is how we go above and beyond, how we do things that, you know, customers are going to tell stories about to their friends and neighbors and write mm. online. And, and that's more of an art than a science where, right. where, the, uh, where the, you know, the minimizing complaints is scientific. If we do these things 100% of the time, we're going to minimize complaints. Uh, the art opportunity is, is really, you know, looking for opportunities to go above and beyond. So, you know, a couple examples that have happened in our company that, you know, there's no way you could put this in an operations manual. Uh, we had a mover who was at an uh, assisted living facility doing a move and the elevator got stuck and there was an elderly woman in the elevator and she was having a little bit of a panic attack, having trouble standing. And uh, so the, the mover actually got on his hands and knees and let her sit on his back while the elevator was being fixed. Wow. Uh, so she, you know, so she wouldn't fall, <laughs> fall down. And, uh, you know, it, it's because obviously, A, you know, we hired a guy with a great attitude right. and B, you know, we talked about, you know, ways to always looking for ways to go above and beyond for people. Uh, he did this and, and actually somebody snapped a picture of it when the elevator doors opened and, and put it on social media and it, and it went viral. I mean, it got wow. picked up by, by news uh, outlets everywhere. Uh, and, and, you know, another example was a, a group of our movers uh, did a job for, for a family member uh, uh, who, who had, a, had recently lost a, a loved one. And so they brought flowers and, and delivered flowers at the time of their move to express their condolences. And uh, so just little things like that, you know, always looking for opportunities. You know, there's stuff that we also do on a day-to-day -day basis uh, that, you know, we, we try to wow clients with, you know, sweeping up after every job, maybe offering to take out the trash for them. But those are kind of little, you know, basic uh, touches. But I think it's the really above and beyond stuff that, that uh, you know, creates that legacy, that world-class uh, service legacy. Hmm. Man, that's, that's really great. So you talk about you guys love the always branding side. Tell me about some of the, the types of branding and publicity that you enjoy doing. You know, uh, as, a, as a brand in, a, in an industry that's highly competitive, uh, like moving services is, where you know, anybody can get into this business if they have a truck and a logo and a right. company name, um, you know, one thing we've done is, is try to always look for creative ways to, to maximize the exposure of the brand. Uh, and you know our, our company name is playful. The, it's catchy. The the story is is uh, uh, compelling. So you know we've always looked for ways to try to maybe leverage the media through publicity, whether it's right. news media, uh, reality television, uh, awards, and and contests that that we could uh, receive recognition for. Uh, we've always looked for ways to to get our our name out there because it just elevates the awareness of the brand. It elevates the credibility of the brand. Mm -hmm. 
uh, and it's something that, you know, a lot of the, the uh, other companies in our industry aren't really thinking about doing. So, uh, you know, that, that's always branding. But we also make sure we emphasize that branding isn't just about, you know, getting the logo on TV or, or parking the trucks in visible places. You know, the, your brand is the emotional impression that the public has when they see or interact with your, with your logo and your business. So, you know, we tell our guys on the front lines that, you know, always branding for them means they're a walking, talking billboard for this business and this brand. That They're on a stage at all times when they're out in the community, uh, and they need to remember that. You know, they need to operate as if Oprah in 60 Minutes is following them around with a video camera. Hmm. Uh, because, you know, the world is watching. They want to see who's driving the truck when, you know, this big, shiny college hunks uh, truck pulls up to the gas station. They want to see, you know, who's getting out at the 7-Eleven when they're on a break, but they're, you know, they're still wearing the uniform and in the truck. So uh, branding is is much more than just getting the name out there on TV, uh, but obviously that's been a big piece of our our growth strategy, no doubt. That's awesome. You're right. Conduct your business like you've got Oprah following you around all the time (laughs) with cameras. So tell me a little bit about being on Oprah's show. I thought that was really interesting. Yeah, you know, we, we had gotten called up uh, by one of their producers uh, because they were doing a, a special uh, program on uh, a person who had uh, hoarding tendencies. They were uh, hadn't been able to throw anything away for oh, 20, 30 yeah, years, okay. and they were running out of dumpsters, or they were having a, a short, uh, I guess they were um, having a difficult time getting the dumpsters picked up fast enough, so they uh, wanted us to come on and, and clean out... Uh, you know, clean out uh, the house using our truck. So uh, our tr- our trucks got some great uh, wow. uh, yeah. visibility. And then about three months later, uh, we got a call from the same producers. They were doing a show called Oprah's Messiest Room Contest up in <laughs> New York City, and they wanted us to come help. And, you know, the funny thing is it, uh, this was still – we didn't have a location yet up in New York and uh, we were based in D.C., and they were like, you have a location in New York, don't you? And we were like, yeah, we sure do. <laughs> so we pretty much said, you know, when Oprah calls, you drop everything. So we, we drove these trucks up to New York City. We probably amassed, I don't know, $1,000 worth of parking tickets that weekend. Uh, but, but we got our trucks back on the uh, back on the program. That's great. Yeah, if, if Oprah calls, you go, right? <laughs> That's right. That's awesome. Hey, a couple more questions for you. You've got the, the your yeah, book, which is absolutely. a bestseller, The Effortless Entrepreneur. I enjoyed the book. It's got It's very digestible. I know it's been out for a couple of years, endorsed by some Michael Gerber and some some other uh, well-noted entrepreneurs. <laughs> so t- tell me a little bit about it. You've got the Ten Commandments of Business. Ignore these, and you'll lose more than just your company. Give me a few highlights on on the Ten Commandments. Yeah, absolutely. So just a little quick backstory about this book. Uh, you know, my business partner and I were at a, a conference, and one of the speakers pretty much said, anybody who's ever written a book always says they wish they had done it 10 years earlier. So whatever you're, you know, thinking about writing, just start writing it now. And uh, so I guess my business partner and I took that literally and we said, well, I guess we got to write a book. And we said, well, let's write, you know, what it is we wish we knew then that we know now after, you know, having started this business. And so uh, the idea is, uh, you know, at the time we were, you know, kind of in our mid-20s, kind of in the middle of the fire of growing this, you know, uh, uh, this business in, in, in the franchise industry and uh, you know one thing that we thought of was you know you read a lot of books but you don't remember all the the messages that are in there and you know just like if you read the Bible you may not remember everything that you read but you're not going to forget the Ten Commandments or at at least you're not going to forget most of the Ten Commandments so Hmm. you know for us in our book we wanted to try to have sort of some some key points or key takeaways that uh, we sort of comment uh, consistently referenced throughout the book so a few of those 
uh, just to kind of share with, with you and the, the audience here. Uh, number one is uh, always start with a vision, create the system, and then work back to the present, rather. Start with the vision, work back to the present, and, mm-hmm. and you know, live by that roadmap. Uh, so you create a strategic plan, and you live by that roadmap on, on a daily basis. Because if, imagine if you're getting to go on a road trip, and you get in your car, you pack up the car, and you just start driving aimlessly. You know, you might end up somewhere cool, or you might drive off a cliff. Well, if you've got a destination in mind first, and then you've got create the roadmap on how you're going to get there, then, you know, you're going to plan off your different stops. And, yeah, you might get a flat tire here, or you might run out of gas there, but you still ultimately know where you're trying to get to. Uh, so that was one of the uh, commandments there is to always start with the vision, you know, create the strategic roadmap and, and live by that. Uh, you know, uh, something that's, that's, I think, really been relevant for, for me and my business partner is, you know, never allow the business to uh, truly sacrifice or, or compromise your, your personal friendships and, and family relationships. And, you know, I started this business with a, a good friend of mine from high school, and we still remain friends to this day, you know, having mm-hmm. been business partners for 11 years. And I think it's because we always keep our priorities in mind as far as what's really important and, and don't get, you know, uh, let the business and, and the the, the passion for the business uh, impact negatively our, our relationships, both with our, you know, with each other and with our respective family and friends. Uh, so I think that's really critical as well. Uh, and then, you know, a third one that I'll share with you is, uh, you know, ideas mean nothing without action. And this is one, you know, I mm. think a point that's really critical with any endeavor is, you know, ideas are great. They're fun to talk about. They get everybody excited. But ultimately, it's the people that take an idea, uh, put it into action, and, uh, you know, are passionate enough about the idea to try to make it a reality that are going to ultimately, you know, have the success uh, in the long term and in the long run. And so uh, those would be mm. three that I think really stick out to me, uh, you know, when I, when I reflect back on the book. Wow. Yeah, that's great advice. I, I love this book. It's easily digestible and it's just, it's an, it's a great read, not cumbersome. But I think it's chocked full of good advice. Let me ask you about leading a millennial workforce. There's countless articles that talk about it. There's some complaining and there's some talking about how to motivate. You've done a great job of motivating the millennials and building your business on it. So tell me a little bit more about how to lead a millennial team. From my experience so far, and you know, obviously, uh, majority of our frontline staff are, are 18, 18 to twenty-five year olds. Um, really, the key is is giving a, a sense of purpose that's more than just about making money, uh, and and give a uh, light the path of opportunity of of ways that they can grow both personally and professionally. Uh, and it doesn't mean that they're guaranteed a promotion, but it shows that there's a pathway uh, to uh, professional improvement, professional development, and uh, uh, engage them, empower them in 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 ways that they can, you know, feel like their voice is listened to. They can feel smart, valued, and important, and, and not just a you know a cog in the wheel. So, you know, those have been kind of the three elements for me that I think have been really impactful for for managing that millennial workforce. You know, at the end of the day, they want to feel like they are, are mattering, like like they're uh, making a difference, that, that it's not just, uh, you know, there to, to punch a clock and, and collect a paycheck. Uh, they want to feel their voices are heard. And, uh, you know, they want to be empowered to, uh, to, to be able to grow. So, uh, you know, it's, it's th- those focuses for us have, have proven very, uh, very successful. Mm, that's good advice. So you've accomplished so much already. You're relatively young and you've built this hundred plus franchise and multi-million dollar company and you've been on all these shows and all these awards and have written a best-selling book. 
What, what, what are you most proud of professionally and personally? Wow, that's, that's a pretty great question. Um, you know, it, it's, it's a couple things. Uh, one, I would say I'm most proud when I hear from existing or former employees talk about how impactful the experience was or is working at this organization. Hmm. Um, you know, we've run across guys who, you know, were working as, you know, frontline movers and haulers for us for, you know, a year or six months and I'll run into them and they'll say, you know, I learned more in my time working for you than I did in any class uh, or in any other company that I've worked for. Um, and just to hear them say that, it just kind of validates the, the idea behind our, our whole sort of uh, building leaders core value of, of, you know, creating a place where people learn and grow and, and kind of helps launch them into their future endeavors. So uh, that would probably be, I would say, what makes me the most proud is, is just seeing the, the feedback from the people that, uh, you know, that this organization has touched in a, in a positive way. Uh, particularly the ones who, who work within the organization or who have worked in the organization. Uh, similarly, the, the uh, impact it has on our franchise owners. I mean, you know, these are individuals who have business uh, aspirations but maybe didn't want to try to start something from scratch on their own. So, uh, you know, they they invested in this brand and this opportunity and, and to see them, you know, uh, make a financial return on that investment and, and be fulfilled financially has, has been mm-hmm. a, a very big source of pride for me. And then, uh, you know, I think also, uh, you know, I'm, I'm, I guess I'm always humbled and, and proud when I hear uh, or when I see my parents' uh, sense of pride, uh, oh. you know, in, in, in what I've been able to accomplish. Yeah. I think every kid, you know, has, has a, uh, you know, an, an inner uh, desire or, uh, to, to grow up and be able to, like, make their parents proud. And, and right. I think that, you know, I, I, I've been able to do that. So that, that gives me a sense of, uh, you know, gratitude as well. Mm. Yeah, that's great. So what's next for you or what, what have you yet to accomplish that's on your bucket list that you want to do? Oh man. Uh, you know, I think <laughs> I, I, I'll say this playfully, but I'm, you know, half serious about it. You know, we've been on all these TV shows. I, I think it would be fun to have our own, mm. uh, television series, uh, you know, about the, the college hunks, uh, business and some of the, you know, ins and outs of, uh, you know, running the small business and, and uh, you know, the different types of things that the guys find on the job and the, some of the storylines of, you know, the frontline staff and, and the franchise owners. So, you know, to me, it would be, uh, you know, having lived it, it would be, I, and, and having watched a lot of television, I think it would be a, a, an entertaining and, and uh, also educational program. But, mm. uh, you know, so that, that would be, I think, a, a, a fun, you know, future endeavor if, if we could uh, make something like that work. Yeah, that'd be exciting. So is there anything else you want to share with our audience? Just, you know, I appreciate uh, the opportunity. Like I said, I'm humbled to be, uh, to have been invited to come on and, and uh, join you here. Um, you know, people are, you know, interested in, in learning more about, uh, you know, College Hunks. They, they can go to collegehunksfranchise.com. Uh, if they want to learn about me, nickfriedman.com. Uh, but uh, I think what you're doing is awesome, Derek. I think, uh, you know, inspiring uh, entrepreneurship and, and helping people uh, pursue their dreams is, is you know, is, is so critical. It's going to move the company forward. Well, I truly appreciate you being our guest too and enjoy learning from you. 
And I, you know, I do invite our listeners to go and learn more about you. You're hearing from the, the co-founder of this national franchise and, and what a what a great story and how customer focused and centric this brand is. And I love that. I love that you're that you're hungry and growing still and, and so focused on the customer. I know that's going to continue to serve you well. So man, we look forward to seeing what you do next. If you want to learn about Nick's book, it's Effortless Entrepreneur. Uh, or you can go, you can look him up on any show or Google him and, and, and learn more about him as well. So Nick, thanks again and, and uh, look forward to continuing to follow what you're doing and to seeing you on a on your own reality show someday too. <laughs> Good deal. Good deal. Thanks, Derek. I appreciate it. Thanks, Nick. You've been listening to the Business Leadership Series, where we engage with leaders who are making an impact on their worlds and who want to share their knowledge and experience for your personal and professional growth. This interview was designed to inspire you to become the best leader you can be. 